Hello and welcome to We're Listening, the podcast all about Fraser. I'm Will. And I'd offer you a sherry, but I'm fresh out. <laughs> this week, whilst Key is abroad now in Italy, no France, no Italy, I'm joined <laughs> by the brilliant Steve Mutum to discuss season four, episode 19 and 20, three dates and a breakup in which Fraser's love life is brought to grief by Sherry, not his gear shaft. Um, Steve, <laughs> what's your favourite thing to toast to? Do you have a go-to toast if you're put on the spot or have you ever, better question, done it to seduce someone? Do you know what? I've never had three dates in a weekend, if that helps you. I was uh, going to ask you that, to be honest. And uh, <laughs> I've never I've never played the same piece of music every time they've entered. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had a wireless remote to kind of seductively turn it on up from behind you? Do you know what? I actually think that bit's the best part of one of the parts of the episode. Actually, Honestly, it's so that. good. Jerry, click. So <laughs> um, do you know what? I've forgotten the original question, Will. <laughs> do you have a, a go-to toast? Have you ever, you know, if you if I put you on the spot up, partly, is there do something you know that? Where's the or the last toast you ever gave? Can you even remember the last toast you gave? Purely because of this episode, I'd have to use two possibilities. Possibilities. Is, is there I'm, any I'm, other you could use? <laughs> I'm honestly not afraid to say. Anytime Charles and I drink practically anything together, a cup of tea, and we're in the living room or whatever, I will chink the glass. And she now knows what's coming, and she just she'll just look at me and say no, and I won't say it. But it's 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 unspoken between us because of this episode, yeah. which she has seen, so she knows the reference. My partner Elle actually gets really fed up because every time she says, oh, we've got a bottle of champagne or a bottle of Prosecco, I always grab hold of it and go, one does not simply twist out of the cork. <laughs> However, you twist the bottle. Twist <laughs> the bottle. Um, I can't blame her for getting frustrated if you say that every time she gets champagne out. Um, shall we took ourselves into Trivia Corner this week before we get going with a double bill review? Let's go for it. Hopefully it's not a double bill of Trivia Corner. Oh, well, I don't know if it's going to be double difficulty or not. Um, the boys and their crew have a very tough act to follow after Ham Radio's incredible Trivia Corner. Everyone really kind of, you know, broke the mould of that one. Um, well, let me... Oh, sorry, what are you going to say? I was going to say, to make up for the fact that I did actually use someone else's question, I've written four, but I have a possible fifth for you. So if I hear one that I've written, I'm not going to ask it. We will skip over it. We've got, excellent, got excellent. a couple of backups, hopefully, to avoid any clashes. Excellent. Well, um, because, uh, yeah, if you if you look ahead you can't on reddit if you if you've got the reddit up don't worry if you don't um you will be able to see the questions but not the answers but but don't worry hopefully that that won't happen but it's an occupational hazard okay question numero uno from a a man down under hamish frasier's three dates adair leslie and kimberly all feature in my national fraser league competition on fraser fan club for anyone who doesn't know what that is go and see it because hamish has done so much amazing work with this to find the true love interest of the three adair leslie and kimberly who is the highest ranking so far in that competition bonus point if you can say how many wins she's had oh hammy i'm so sorry i don't know i'm gonna have this is a tough one I think it's Leslie Wellman. I think it is she... Leslie Wellman. How you know many what? wins do you reckon she's had? I don't know that, but I, she's one. She's my favourite. I'll, I'll ruin the part of the. the Wh- which one literally. is Leslie? The brunette, the third mm-hmm. one. The third one. The third and the one, one, the one that kind of stays with him when they get on the elevator yeah. and stuff. Okay, yeah. I do need to preface this whole episode by saying I watched this and made my notes about two weeks ago, so I can barely remember my notes. So when we go through this, you're going to have to help me. Um, sorry fun. sorry for the unprofessionalism there, everyone. But yeah, Leslie Wellman with three wins, and Adair and Kimberly have none, which was much to my shock the other day. As you know, I'm a big Adair fan. 
Um, and and Kimberly fan, to be honest. You can't be a fan of Kimberly. She ruined Adele's Adele's first marriage, didn't she? Oh my god, that is true. (laughs) That is true. Um, Some some kind of yeah, great inter inter politics happening with these women. Um, It was one of the one of the lovely bits of this episode. Okay, question two. You got Leslie Wellman. How does Sherry ruin Fraser's first two dates? On the third date, her and Martin follow them out for dinner, and she hasn't ruined it yet. So date one and two, how they ruined. I believe the first one, did she bring him home veal? Veal chop? Veal, yeah. So busting the ball, he's a vegetarian. And also um, one other thing. I don't I can think Martin lets the dog out, doesn't he? Which upsets him because he says a dog lover. That's not, is that Sherry? That's not Sherry though, is it? I think, I think, I, 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 does Sherry not say, where? does Sherry not instigate that? Is that all Martin? Yeah, maybe she does. And then he's, oh yeah, he does. Because I think Martin says, oh, you've locked him in the back room again, haven't you? That's it. That's it. Yeah, perfect. That's the two I was looking for for date one. How does she ruin the second date, Steve? Ah, um, says, didn't I see you here last night? Absolutely. Bumps into it on the way to getting her banjo. I just cringe when I see her in this episode and like, please, just keep your mouth shut. But alas. (laughs) Um, Question three. Nars's her lips said no, but her eyes said read my lips. One of the best from this episode is referring to which love interest that he had his eyes on. Great question here from the Hamish Meister. And it's one of these three, isn't it? Clue. No, it's not. Oh, I thought it was one of these three. I, can't yeah, I, think he, I think after her, he's interested in Kimberly, isn't he? But then she's like, yeah. nice seeing you again, Miles. Um, they all say that, I think, don't they? But oh, yeah. I, can't, I don't know what I'll have to pass. I don't know her name. I can't it's remember. Natalie Spencer. Um, a tough one, because I certainly wouldn't have even got one of those, like, forename or surname. Um, trivia from Run For Your Life. What do Frasier's first two dates have in common? Mm. I'll give you a clue, because this is quite tough. Physical. Blonde hair? I haven't got it, that here. Adair's is kind of a funny colour, isn't it? Adair's is kind of mousy brownie. I'm not going for hair colour. Is it the fact that they both wear a scarf backwards around their neck? Oh my one, god, that's one of them does, but I don't know if both of them do. That's a guess. I think Kimberly does. What I've got, you're kind of you're so close. They are both wearing matching pearl necklaces and uh, earrings. So there you go. Women of high taste, which is well, probably what attracted Fraser in the first place. Um. Do you want to hit me with yours, Steve, before we go over to MK and the the car? The first one is mm-hmm. Who does Daphne find in her room trying on her shoes? Can you name oh. that one? I'll give you the clue, it's a man. <laughs> I know it's a man. Um the only man I can ever remember from their circles is Matthew Pym, and I don't think it's Matthew Pym. Do you know what you got the first name right? It's Matthew Opinion. 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 That's what it's on KSCLO. I had to write it down off there because it's A-P-I-N-I-O-N. Matthew Appignon, Opinion. I can't remember how on earth you pronounce it, but damn. At least I got got the forename. Number two, according to Roz at KACL, during Fraser's show, what three things does he compare dating to? Oh, God. It's like, okay, so far to the show, you've compared dating to duh, duh, duh. Um... Oh my god, I can't remember any. This is devastating. This is a great question too. I'm going to say a baseball game. He wouldn't do that. Um, no, they're all. It's it's two of some kind... that Someone would phone up for help about. Okay. Um, maybe some kind of phobia. Um, 
one of them does end in phobia, if that helps. <laughs> Dating's a lot like agoraphobia. You're going to have to tell me here, Steve. I'm, killing, I'm kicking myself here. You want that one or all three? All three, please. You've compared it to unemployment, claustrophobia, and bedwetting. <laughs> bedwetting. Oh, my God. I can hear Roz literally delivering those lines. That's, that's shameful for me. It's because of all the time between me and my last watch of this app. Three, and this you'd have to know the piece. What piece of music does Fraser play when hosting all three dates? Oh God! Well, you can just give me the composer of the piece because you—I don't know how well you know classical music. Where you'd know that piece from? The not amount, super well, um, but I'm not like a complete layman. I'm just going to go with—I'm going to go with Brahms. It is Concerto Grosso in D minor by Vivaldi. Vivaldi. Vivaldi's got a more Shakespeare, more of a Fraser vibe than Brahms, I think. He's goddamn. Um, Great question, you, though. You want it? I do have a fourth. Go on, Steve, please. Let's Come give, on. Let's give you one last chance to get this right. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. In the elevator, I'll say that for the Americans, Daphne mm -hmm. waves at the CCTV camera in the corner. Who does she explain she's saying hello to? Oh. God, it's the security guard, but I don't know his name. Oh, um, come on. <laughs> oh God, man. It's this a surname. Mr. It... Something. Yeah, I know. This is why I need to rewatch the episodes before we... When there's a delay in recording, I'm an idiot. Um, listeners will be screaming. Um, Mr... It's going to be really unique. It's not going to be like Mr. Smith. It'll be Mr. Something. Um, reasonably common surname, I'd say. Mr. Mr. Jenkins. Mr. Hicks in security. Mr. Hicks. God damn. Let's just get out of Trivia Corner for me. You've still got some questions, but let me get the hell out of there because that was a train wreck. I'm so sorry, Steve. Excellent questions all the same. Um, trivia from MK now and, his, uh, and one from BB Glazer later. Question one. Why will Roz be looking for new jogging clothes? Why should she be looking for new jogging clothes? Why? Why will? Why will Roz be looking for new job? What would prompt her to I'd buy some new jogging clothes? I was going to say there's two reasons. They might not be right. One is that one's covered in uh, soap from the dispenser. That apparently I haven't got that, but that's true. So that's one good reason. Horizontally, for some reason, <laughs> and the other one is that I think the shorts rub. Uh, is it uh, rub on her legs like a couple of? Hams or something like that. Yeah, shave her thighs, yeah, shave like hams wrapped in Velcro. Um, such an incredibly horrid uh, image, but but really really excellent. Um, but no, well played there, Steve. Question two: What three things has Fraser compared? Oh, compared dating to after he secured three dates. I, um, I believe that's claustrophobia uh, <laughs> and bedwetting, and I'm taking that's, the point. <laughs> that's what I've got here, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, what wine? Would Frasier's course of romance include, if the pronunciation is uncertain, I'll be kind and accept the year. So this must be the wine that he kind of has as part of his dalliances. Do you know what? I looked, when he, when they said about it, I didn't look at what it was called. I did actually try and remember the date, and now I can't. I'm going to go I'm trying, I'm trying to remember a film that came out in this year. Um, and nothing's coming. Oh, bear with me. What, the year of this wine? Oh, no. Yeah, I've got nothing. I can't remember any films. In this was it the early 90s, very early 90s? Yes, it was. I think it's 1992. It is 1992. Yeah. Um, I'm not even going to attempt to, to, to pronounce this. I mean, Puis, Fuis, 
Um, I remember thinking 1992 because I'm pretty sure he says, "Oh, it's a vintage," and I thought it's four years old. It's not. Yeah, it's it's, not, it's still you know nice-ish, but it's not yeah. a vintage wine. Not really um, expensive, but it's probably a good bottle now in Fraser. And finally, the trivia corner this week: trivia from BB Glazer. What happened last time Niles was late to his therapy group? Is this what he says he's going to do when Sherry's in Nervosa? That's right. Last time the obsessive compulsives were betting someone else that they could make them cry. The overeaters were going to cry or something. Yeah, they, who were they? Can you remember who they were betting that they could make the overeaters cry? I, I can't. The passive aggressives. That's it. Of course, of course. <laughs> one of those classic Niles gags where he's just kind of got three in one here. Um, but so good trivia corner this week. Thank you, everyone. Keep them coming as always. We really appreciate all the work you were put into those. And sorry about duplicates. I really should vet them. It's it's my fault. No one else is. To, to um, be quite honest, I did actually think at some point MK is going to listen to how good his questions are and just think to himself, I could teach a course. I think he will. I think he very much could certainly teach one right now. Um, and I'm sure well, he's... Like, uh... Right, so we could attempt a high five, but that's not going to happen either. <laughs> I'm sure MK's got a little smirk on his face as he, uh, as he listens to this. Uh, animation watch this week, Steve. Can you remember what the animation was for this episode? Yeah, the clip art balloons. <laughs> We're not a fan of balloons, are we, on a WLP? We're listening yeah, podcast. We, we had to see them twice. I believe they were magenta, blue, and yellow again. <laughs> again. We don't love the balloons. Um, the opening point I have here is hazelnuts. Are you a fan? Why am I talking about hazelnuts here? Is it because they're on top of the coffees in Nervosa? You know, I can tell you exactly why. Because there is fewer hazelnuts in a biscotti, and they've gone up 25 cents. That's it. And what what is uh, something... Than Madeline territory. Well, no, it's fewer nuts and more money. Isn't this my dream? <laughs> That's it. I'm uh, I'm thinking of a different one. Um, are you a fan of hazelnuts, Steve? I'm not a fan of nuts, as I think I've actually said on the podcast. I think previously. you have yeah, said not, this actually. Yeah. We, we discussed my nut allergy that I haven't got, which I might have <laughs> to say I've got, so we we can avoid me talking about nuts too often. It's probably easy if you just say to others as well that you've got an allergy, just so you don't have to have to eat them in public. Nuts, and you could say, I think that's implied. <laughs> <laughs> um, Roz arrives now, absolutely dying from a run. Um, we've all been there after an extended period of, of cardio. Her thighs are chafing like a couple of hams. Um, but I quite admire her for just showing up in a public place like this because she says, you know, at least I'm trying to stay healthy. She's like, she's not as image conscious as the other two are. And although she does look a bit, a bit ropey, she's still I, like embracing it. I thought she actually looked all right, to be quite honest. I mean, the fact I'm with that you. Like someone from the costume department has actually just thrown some water around the most random part of her neck, which yeah. must only sweat from her neck because nowhere else is sweaty. Yeah, it's literally the top part of her chest. And it's like a hoodie that she's got on, isn't it? And it's just the collar's wet. Yeah. She doesn't look that sweaty, to be honest. And she actually still looks reasonably attractive. I'll say very attractive. It's Ross. Pe- do you know what I mean? And, and very Gilpin. She can... She can rock rock any outfit here. Um, but no, I, I agree with you. And also, if it's like... I know, I know some people sweat regardless. I mean, I, I, I've got pretty active sweat glands when I'm out running, you know, on my face and whatever. But um, if it's that hot enough to make you sweat, why would you have a hoodie on? Like, I, I can't run in anything more than a T-shirt unless it's like a minus temperatures. Like, I, yeah. I warm up that quick. She seems to, I mean, it, Seattle's known as uh, not being the hottest place, I presume, with the amount of mildew jokes and... and Maybe a bit humid, but mostly not um, hot, yeah. Yeah. So, Sorry, an interesting uh, one. Just looking something up from the conversation between me and you quickly, because... Da, 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 
coffee can as we're in November. Oh, lay it on me and the I listeners. The up to date, including ham radio, was 130, and we have one for Niles, one for Fraser, and one for Ros in this episode. So 133. 133. Love that. I'm making a note here, so I've got another. Sorry, record. I wasn't ignoring you a minute ago. I was looking on my, on my phone. So oh, I thought, no, no. I have dropped the ball so hard with the coffee count. So it's just amazing that you've uh, you've kept on the ball there. And yeah, 133. Nice. Love it. Um, Frasier, quite presumptuous about Ros needing to get clean now. He kind of wants her to go and freshen up. Not a yeah. great look telling your, you know, your closest female friend to like, you know, you look disgusting going to the bathroom. You know, just accept it. I mean, Niles made a comment. What was it? Did she say an eight-minute mile? Or did she say an 11-minute mile or something like that? And he says, well, stand up wind of us and you'll see if we can do it. But um, <laughs> Oh, yeah, she... I don't know what she says. Maybe it must be it must be 11 minutes. Eight minutes, very fast. But even 11 minutes for someone who's just a producer who's drinking a lot of coffee, she's that's that's pretty good, I'd 11 say. minutes is a decent pace, you know. I'm, I'm not judging you uh, you're there, Ross. You know, go for it. Um, Niles, for now, we learn, is, is looking for single women. Which of course will get expanded upon shortly in the um, in the party at nineteen oh one. One thing I did notice: he's looking for single women, and actually, we'll, we'll go on to it in the party. Like you say, he's desperately looking for single females. Mm. He's wearing a wedding ring. David Hyde Pierce got a wedding ring on the correct finger the whole way through this episode. And didn't I thought, notice that because I've only done a few episodes, obviously, of the podcast. I'm not quite up to date in a way and i should be as a as a reasonably expert of, of the uh, oh, you're, you're more prepared than i am this episode so <laughs> but chronologically where is he with maris at the moment completely separated the divorce is going through that's a good point i can't remember let me get because we've had we've had four for the seesaw where he's ready to have sex with another woman exactly um so we had we... where he throws it off the balcony has he thrown the ring off the balcony watch out is that your mistake? i, I, I think that's in the next few episodes because we've got are you being served and ask me no questions so therefore he's in told where his wedding is not divorced yeah but still if he's looking for single point women covered. yeah point covered. For, if you're looking for single women maybe take it off maybe that'll boost your chances i don't know might be helpful but um, you know that that's that's Niles for you. Um, Fraser really he sees Martin and Sherry coming from really long a long way off. He's all the way back in Navosa here by the bar, and you can mm. see them coming all the way. And he's got time to like prepare and stuff. Like sometimes when they're by the window seat, they only see them coming in as they're like in the foyer, yeah, literally you know? just inside the door. The other thing, I mean, the, the fact that where would you keep tickets if you were wearing a three piece suit? I don't know where are where do they get found over the over like boy in his coat or I believe she finds them maybe in the toilets because she seems to come out from the back area or as, there... as she dropped them. It just seems like she says, "Has anyone lost these tickets?" And it seems very funny that the size of the tickets she gives to him that they've fallen out of a normal pocket. I think there must just be suit yeah in his pocket, so maybe his coat pocket as he's hung his coat up on the rack at the back. They've fallen out there, but. Could yeah, be, could it's be. an interesting question. I mean, the, uh, have... sorry, what can you say? No, I was just going to bring up the uh, the waitress. Do you recognise her? Oh, that's a good. It's been so long since I saw this app. I'm going to have to say no. I think NCIS. I believe she was in. Oh, I the, know the show, Paulie but Perrette or Paulie Perret? Is she like a lead in that? Is she? 
She's apparently one of the main cast. I've never watched the show, but apparently... Oh, no, it's CSI, maybe, she's in. Not NCI, I've never watched any of them, but they are so popular. Um, she's not credited in this episode. She comes back in another episode slightly later on. She's credited as Rebecca, I believe the waitress is called, even mm. though she doesn't say anything when she's credited as Rebecca, and she has more speaking in this, and she's credited as waitress. But, oh, um, yeah, obviously a very sort of small role for her, and she obviously went on to be a, ma a major star in... I'm sure it's CSI. I bet her... Better apologise for saying NCIS first. But. No, I mean, I, all of those shows, one blur into one to me, and I know it's really blasphemous to the people that listen yeah. and that like them, but if anyone could explain to me why they're so popular, like, like because they are hugely popular. Like, we're talking tens of millions every episode. Like, what is, you know, I, I asked that on a completely innocent way, not a loaded question, like, why are they so popular? Like, yeah. you know, what is it that just gets people's gears turning with those shows, you know? I believe Ted Danson's been in one of them as well, actually, or, or part of the series. I'm sure Ted Danson was yeah, in Yeah, and there's a guy who looks like him called, um, I think his character's called Leroy Jethro Gibbs, but I can't remember what his guy's called. He's really famous. Um, I'm going to have to look it up now. <laughs> Leroy, Leroy Jethro Gibbs is played by... Mark Harmon. Oh no, he looks nothing like Ted Danson. Um, so that's not who I'm thinking of. But Mark Harmon is is big in NCIS. He's he's one of the leads. Uh, but yeah, listeners, if you watch it, get in touch. There you um, go. Yeah. Just to confirm, she was in. It was. She was in NCIS from 2003 to 2018, and it is Paulie Perrette, I believe her name. Wow, well, that's a long run. Yeah. Um, Steve, have you ever tried skating and blowing into a jug while your heart's breaking? <laughs> Um, I have played ice hockey, so I have skated, but I've never. Oh my blown god! My heart was breaking. So, but you've uh, never done Nashville on ice in your time in the rink. No, I've never seen chimps on ice either, or any other <laughs> on ice. Chimps on ice. There's the delivery of Frazier there. You know, you try skating and blowing into a jug while your heart's breaking. Absolutely kills me. One of my favourites of this uh, of this episode. Um, I put. Oh yeah, so we have, we've had from the trivia corner. Um, Nas this kind of classic gag sketch about why he's leaving, what group he's he's working with that week, and it all kind of getting confused and blurred into one, which is which is really good. Um, so yeah, so I've got here. I think this is when they're at nineteen oh one now. Oh no, no, sorry, they're they're still at at Novosa. Maybe this is when he introduces Sherry to Roz. He yeah. just, he introduces her as he says, "This is my dad's." Emma Morata? Is, is it like a Latin term? He does make a strange, strange. I, I couldn't tell you if I'm really yeah, honest. I'm going to have to. I'm going to. I'm on KCL now. Uh, oh, here we go. My dad's inner Morata. It's one word. I'm just going to Google this. Um, a, per, a person's a person's female lover. Um, but I'm, I'm not getting. Oh, I think it comes from Italian. Um, uh, but I've never heard this term in my life. Basically, him being pretentious, underlined as always. It's just so egregious. <laughs> okay, smaller words. Smaller words, Will. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that clears that up. And I was like, what on earth is is the word he's using here? Um, John Coughlin from Roz's High School, and he notices her. Um, is he just very observant? You know, Roz is in a in a clear state of disarray here, and he hasn't seen her in this long. I don't want to be the negative one on the podcast, but I have massive issues about John Coughlin. I'd love um, to hear them. One, he walks into a cafe in Seattle, which is nowhere near Wisconsin. Yeah, what he says he's, he says he's visiting someone, doesn't he's he? On, he's on business. Just happens to meet someone from his high school in a city the size of Seattle and says, oh, Ros Doyle. Mm. And she recognises him straight away when they're mid-30s, are they now? So they haven't seen each other for... 
15, maybe 20 years since high school. Mm-hmm. He recognises her. The biggest issue I have with this is he says he's from Racine in Wisconsin, and she says she grew up in a small town with him. So presuming that she grew up in Racine with him. In season 11, she comes from Bloomer in Wisconsin, which is three hours west of Racine. <laughs> Nowhere. They, a lot of Wisconsin geography floating around. On this. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I never, when they cast John Coughlin, little did they know, 20 years later, we'd be picking apart you know, <laughs> what he's doing on, on the podcast. But um, yeah, it's just a few issues with it. It is very serendipitous, this kind of plot point. And in the grand scheme of what happens in a double bill, I think they could have done more with Ross than have some kind of cheap romantic revenge plot that's the all whole, about her desperate to appear beautiful the whole know. thing about was running is is reasonably all right sherry yeah when you're over 40 you know and it's like oh god why she said that the fact that i mean this is skipping ahead for this bit but when Roz comes back in in sort of some wedding gown and she's having a photo taken she wants to be recognized by him wearing something else i think this doesn't need to be in this episode Again, mm. you could have cut five, ten minutes out of this and made it a single episode. Okay, it'd have been crammed into it, but did it need to be 45 minutes long to put the Roz, not even a B story in there? It's tiny. Yeah, this, is, this is C story at most, isn't it? Um, it just doesn't need to be there. It's just one of those. Um, 1901 is alive with the sound of single babes, as Nas would have it. Um, that isn't a quote, of course, but that's probably what's going through his head. Um, he's making his I'm available face. What food is Fraser worried people will think is bad? It's the shrimp. Could it's be the, the shrimp. shrimp. Um, never had bad shrimp, but it does scare me a little bit with those. those... Give me that face. Because <laughs> <laughs> Seafood and stuff in general can be pretty, uh, pretty sketchy. So you know, I always, I always like, oh god, you know, this this line kind of hits home. I'm a bit of a food freak sometimes. Um, mentioning the um, mentioning the party, you won't, you won't actually be able to see this, but I wrote in pretty big letters across the middle of this page: successful dinner party. Yeah, actually host something that goes right. Yeah, this goes so well. I mean, everyone's happy. Everyone's paying the money to the uh, the play, which is was it Run for Your Life? Or, no, Run, it's for, Run your for Your Life, wife, isn't it? Run, Run for Your Wife. Run for um, Your Wife. And obviously, they're funding this play and the theatre. And was it Matthew Apignon or whatever? He's one of the biggest benefactors, and he's certainly going to be after being caught trying on Daphne's shoes. Absolutely. Um, but to see the success of it, beautiful women everywhere, men in tuxedos, wine doesn't look like it's hugely overcated normally he has a goat in the kitchen and wolfgang puck cooking and none of that yeah. seems to be there but it's such a success um kind of surprising really isn't it that that's happened without yeah, I... the normal rigmarole of you know the goat being sick in the kitchen or the the caterer <laughs> having a record all that sort of thing hasn't happened it's just success and money yeah absolutely but... and i think i think you know we see it so successfully here I wish there were more successful dinner parties in the course of the show. Obviously, the ones that go wrong are hilarious and they form the, the backbone of a, many a great episode. But there's also a real just coziness about the opening to this episode. Everything, all the beats are getting hit, the rhythm's right, everyone's kind of having a great time. And, you know, obviously, Niles isn't quite striking the right chords. But... I suppose, as always, it's the build up ready for the chaos that ensues, isn't it? Because the build up yeah. is everything successfully gets the three dates. And then, obviously, Sherry comes in like a bull in a china shop and is about to knock them all back down again. So, yeah, I guess this is the bit that we need to see working a bit like last week with Ham Radio that you're seeing the success at home because everything's going to fall apart in the second half of the episode. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, we meet the lovely Adair now, um, who she loves Brecht. I've, I've taught Brecht this year, actually, which is a funny coincidence. This is really weird. In my notes, I've written Matthew Pym down, but obviously KACL has, has not got that. Um, I think we both remember, you, especially you would remember, if it had been a single syllable surname. I just couldn't, I couldn't pick the name up. I had to look it up on KACL, um, three dates. I'll have to go back and look, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't trust me on that because I think I've biased in my head because I know Matthew Pym. You know, Matthew Pym staged a coup and you know, that kind I, of line. Hey, Matt, what does it say on um, what does it say on IMDb? Because surely there's an actor playing that character. Shall we? Shall we look a, it up? Will you be able to get that up before me, or shall I look on? I am currently looking through the um script on kacl to see if i can see what they say his name okay. is right i am on imdb right now now i don't want to edit the cast list i want to view it um let me have a little butchers here um oh there's yeah, no there's, there's no one here there's no one credited um sadly you won't be able to see that that <laughs> you can't see it can you matthew <laughs> matthew appignon appignon well, yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to go back and look, but I'm, I'm inclined to believe the KACL people over myself just because I've been wrong many times on this podcast. Without Frankly, looking at got... on subtitles, I wouldn't be able to pick it up. In I've way. got no credibility left on this yeah. on, on realistic. Um, Frazier quotes Pope now off the top of his head. He's eloquent. It's flawless. It's just he's put on the spot. Alexander Pope once said even the delivery is just unbelievable i aspire to be that smooth uh, it's like i mean if it was me at dinner party i'd never do that because it would just be cheesy and you look like uh, you look like a, a know-it-all knobhead but fraser looks like a, a cultured elegant man here does he rehearse it is it something i i, I think this is the kind of thing he's already got in his locker do you agree it's the same with the brecht thing i mean going back to brecht quickly the only thing i know about brecht is the caucasian short circle I don't even know what that is. You don't know that? Right. So the Caucasian Chalk Circle, I thought you'd know about this. No. Um, it's in the play, and Brecht basically wrote it about... A, I can't remember the character. That's name. the name of one of his plays, is it? Yeah. Okay. So there is a play within a play, which is quite good for him. I think that's one of his main things that he liked to do, was have a play within the play. Yeah, yeah. So there is a peasant woman who has found a baby. And obviously, the real mother wants the baby back. The peasant woman's been bringing up the baby and raising the baby to the best of her abilities. And they go before the judge. And they argue to and fro about who the real mother of this child is. Now, the peasant wants to take the baby because she believes the rich woman that actually is the, the parent isn't fit to look after the baby. The judge says there's only one way to, to solve this and draws a big chalk circle on the floor, puts the baby mm. in the centre and says, I want you both to grab an arm and pull as hard as you can because the real mother will win and you'll get your baby back. He said, oh, my God. Alternatively, you will rip the baby in half. The peasant woman says, you take the baby. I don't want any harm to come to the baby. You take the baby. To which the judge instantly says, you are the real mother because you care more about the baby. And obviously the real mother is the woman who is ready to fight for the baby and pull it apart. So, oh my god what a lesson to learn that basically if you really love something you would let it go way around it but it's all used with funny names and and german names and god knows what else so i, I can't 
that's the best way I can explain what I know of that story. But um, that's so great. I love things like that, kind of thought experiments, kind of yeah. social experiment type things. Like I say, um, the whole play within a play thing blew my mind when I saw it because it's very confusing to see people acting out a play. Yeah, play itself and trying he to find that, that meta theatre. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's it's incredible to watch. But that's that's the only thing I know about Brecht. So. Oh, I love that. If anyone listening knows anything more about Brecht, let us know. I just taught Mother Courage and her Children, which is obviously his most famous one. It's a big anti-war play. Again, yeah. dark. Um, involves children getting killed. You know, there's a bit of a running. I think theme. Corporation Short Circle takes part uh, takes place just after the war, and. Mm is again to do with soviets and something else i can't remember mm. I'd, I'd be wrong if i went any further with that but i know it's i'm sure, I'm sure those two things are right soviet and after the war so <laughs> yeah it's, that's fascinating um yeah i'm gonna have to look that up after this episode niles now with the classic delivery her lips said no but her eyes said read my lips um natalie spencer was it from trivia corner yes, she's spencer. just she's just not into it um you know what's what's going on with your face bad shrimp um <laughs> Frasier, I put Frasier rubbing it into Doug. We're back in KACL now, aren't we? And he's like, oh, I've got two dates this weekend. Two dates. You'd be the envy of some men. <laughs> most men. Most men. <laughs> absolutely kills me. Um, And the way he's like, you know, ask me if I'm free this weekend. Like, he's, he's so kind of camp with the way he says it, which is just classic Kelsey. Well, obviously. And he goes, and may I remind you, it's a three-day weekend. weekend. I've put on my notes here all the way back when I made this episode, thanks to Steve for reminding me. Little did I know I'd be recording the episode with you because you messaged me saying, can't believe you're doing three dates and a breakup on a three-day weekend. Um, which, of course, we did end up recording it then, but I was watching it on the three-day weekend. So, uh... It did make me laugh because I messaged John Beale about that as well and he said, uh, I don't know what you mean, it's not a three-day weekend here. Apparently, they don't have the same three-day weekend in America as no, we I think we've got a more of a mystique about Bangkok holidays here yeah. i don't know mayday bank uh, holiday was lost on the americans <laughs> um so frazier says he has someone to call back now i think can you remember the name he says i can and i can tell you why it's that person it's norm peterson from cheers yeah what's going on what have you i missed horse thief. <laughs> what, what, honestly what have i missed why is norm here why is he ringing I norm i can only make it as an assumption that i presume because you've had the other cheers cast in at some points I presume he wants to brag to old friends. So he's called Norm just to say, how are you? Oh, by the way, three dates this weekend. I presume he's just spreading word oh everywhere. Oh, my God. I love that. I never really, even put two, really two together. Yeah, yeah really I love um, he's He's absolutely on cloud nine. And, you know, three dates in a, in a, in a, in a three-day weekend. It's pretty impressive, you know. It's, it it's, not, it's not bad going. Um, Daphne's learning to speak American now. Who is your tutor, a drag queen? Um, not, not a fan of this accent, um, I'm going to be honest. I mean, that's the point of it, but it's pretty heinous. All it is, is Jane leaves dropping an octave because she just goes, I'm trying my American. And well, you're no, certainly trying this American. You've just got your deep voice. And um, oh, I never know what to do with my R's, Will, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, speaking of R's, um, we now have the first of Frasier's pervy little toasts towards one of the women's backsides as they stand admiring the view. You know, oh, what a wonderful view. It certainly is. Oh. Um, Frasier's bottom did receive a standing ovation, of course, when he did Midsummer Night's Dream. And we have the first to possibilities uh, toast here as well. There's a lot going on with Adair. Um, oh, no, no. It's Kimberly that comes first, isn't it? I had the order written down, actually. It's so Kimberly. 
the dates he acquires. He Adair, he, Adair Peck is the first date he gets. Leslie Wellman second. Kimberly Egan third. Kimberly is the first one to come back. That's right. Then Adair Peck, then Leslie Wellman. So they actually shuffle them around, I presume, just for us. I just think so. They don't get the dates in the same. That was almost one of the trivia questions, but I didn't go back to double check. I'd got the order completely correct, so I didn't want to give that out as a trivia No, question. no, it's, it's good so, to keep it. I don't get why they've done that to kind of keep it fresh. Yeah. But yeah, I completely forgot. So it's Kimberly that broke up Adair's first marriage. Um, I believe so. Kimberly and Adair. I mean, Fraser's punching so far above his weight with both. I mean, and Leslie. Punching Leslie so different league. Different league, Leslie. Honestly, he's punching so far above his weight here. It's insane. But, I mean, that is what we say every time Fraser is practically in some kind of romantic tryst. Um, so, you know, that's that. Uh, Sherry arrives for the first time now to ruin the day, as we've established in Trivia Corner. She's got a veal chop. Never had veal. And although I'm not a vegetarian, um, you know, sometimes I like to try vegetarian options just because I think I eat too much meat, probably in a health way rather than ethically. Um, I would be slightly concerned about eating veal in a restaurant. I'm not sure if I'd ever order it. But if someone put it in front of me at their house, I'd probably eat it. I don't know. Don't have you ever eat, eaten veal? I haven't, but I don't think there's a meat I, I wouldn't eat if I'm really. I'm really sorry about it. To be fair. no, don't don't apologize. I'm not a vegetarian, and even if I was, I, I wouldn't judge you. Uh, in the fact that I, I wouldn't really judge you. I mean, Charles is a vegetarian, and she loves animals. Like she, if she saw me eat veal, she'd probably leave me. Um, yeah. But uh, so this is for you, Charles. I'm not going to eat any veal. Um, so don't bring the veal chop home, and uh, I won't. The bathroom door so the dog can get. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd love to know from listeners, you know, are you veggie? Are you a meat eater? Have you eaten veal? Because it's not something you see very often. Presumably, it's only at very high end restaurants. It's probably a lot of money. Yeah, um, because it's a bit like the whole thing, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's it's something that that sort of class of person would eat. Maybe not sort of peasants like me, really. <laughs> no, I mean, I love pate, but I'd never have foie gras just because it's a different vibe. But yeah, I mean, lamb, lamb is kind of a primary meat in this country. And obviously lambs are tiny little things. You know, people only really have mutton if they're like, you know, making, I know people that like make Jamaican curries and things, yeah, yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, but th obviously there's still a bit of a stigma around that, but nothing like veal. And I'm like, well, why is it different with baby cows than it is baby sheep? I don't know. I just, I don't know. I'm having a guess, but I would imagine it's the age they're killed at. You reckon veal are really young? I reckon it's a lot younger. Oh god, that's probably why it's frowned upon. I could be wrong. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, we can. I don't. I'm. I'm scared to Google, but no, um, we don't need to talk about it. Conversations <laughs> like this make me want to become vegetarian. It scares me. Um, but there you go. So, listeners, let us know your dietary habits. Would you eat the Tupperware veal chop? That's what we want to know. Kimberly. She's out of here. She's had enough. She can't listen to this. She's like, you know, I thought you said you love dogs. The veal, she's gone. Um, but Martin and Sherry in the next scene are having a bit of trouble of their own in paradise. You know, what, what's going on with Martin and Sherry here, uh, Steve Dallas? Well, the first question is, how many people do you think eat Chinese food for breakfast? Did she say about a billion she says about a billion Chinese people. Is the people. And I'm sure their food is very different to American takeaway Chinese yeah. fare. Um, not to yeah. not to disparage the Americans listening, because our Chinese fare is kind of similar. Um, I wonder it's what like, they eat. It seems like the Fraser writers really did want to try and either mock the Chinese 
or just make jugs of Chinese people at this point because we've had Migo Betty by Chop Chop. We've had oh, extra crispy. Oh, sorry to do it again. Extra we've crispy. Had, we've had the extra crispy um, at the Hunan Palace. Hunan Palace. Uh, and now this, you know, who good. eats Chinese food for breakfast? A billion Chinese people. If you have a yen for Chinese food and then she tells him yen's Japanese. Do you know what I mean? It's just constant. Yeah. I don't I don't know what they had about Chinese people or China in the 90s for sitcoms because there's an episode, uh, the Chinese restaurant in Seinfeld as well. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. It's quite an early one. Oh, it's a classic. Yeah, um, yeah. Bottle episode. I mean, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Four stories for four cast members. I mean, the fact that they keep going at the guy, how long now? And he goes, about 10 minutes. And it, well, it's been <laughs> half an hour. 10 minutes. <laughs> I mean, I think that actor's absolutely brilliant. I mean, very it's over insulting probably as a stereotypical Chinese person, mm. even the way when George goes back up to him and sorry to go on a tangent here about Seinfeld, but when George goes up and he says, have you had a phone for call for me? He says, yeah, I call out Cartwright. I call out Cartwright. And he goes, my name's Costanza. He goes, that's right. I said, Cartwright, you're not come. I hang up. <laughs> <laughs> he walks away. He goes, Costanza, he called out Cartwright. <laughs> <laughs> That episode, anyway, I've gone off again, but 90s no, it's, it's and Chinese is, I, I don't know what the joke was, but it's made some fantastic comedy, but again, wouldn't work now. It just, you no, could work. it's, uh, I mean, how are you with chopsticks here? Because Sherry wants to use them, Martin doesn't. I've recently um, become kind of quite adept with them. Um, I couldn't I'll, use them, I probably couldn't play on a piano anymore, if I'm honest. I, I, can, I can play on the piano, and I'm not going to do yeah. that, but um, yeah, eating sushi with them. Very, very nice. Big fan. Um, noodles and rice are kind of harder to eat. But what'd you say? Sorry. Is it, with eating rice, I mean, when you see the Americans, they've got more of a, a cardboard box they have takeout in. I mean, mm. over here we have the sort of tin foil tray with a cardboard lid to it. Yeah. Which we dish up onto a plate, but you see sort of Americans more in sitcoms and on TV. They eat them out of the thing, yeah. They've sort of got the box and they're just sort of like shoveling it using the. I'm, I'm doing this with a pen, obviously. Like, yeah, but I can know what you're doing. Okay. Hold it as close to their mouth as possible and sort of shovel it in. <laughs> rather uh, to than... be fair, although that looks wrong, you know, I've been in like, a, you know, a lot of sushi restaurants recently um, and it, people people do eat like that and they weren't just, you know, white English people eating in there. You yeah, know, maybe I think maybe there is a method in the madness. You know what I mean? I think there's a method yeah. in the madness of, of hoovering up the noodles that way, but. Yeah, it's got to um, be the only way, I presume. So, but yeah, I mean, chopsticks—they're they're fun to use, but I do get frustrated pretty easily with them. Um, anyway, this this snowballs. Sherry's gone. She's she's left. Um, Fraser, Fraser and Martin in this scene. I think the acting is just so great. I think the the acting in this double bill, to be honest, is really good. Um, yeah. Generally speaking, but um, you know, she leaves. He lets Niles know, or um, Niles rings, doesn't he? He's like, I just think it's too soon to be celebrating. Still too, soon, Niles. Still too soon, Niles. Um, just fantastic, but also in bad taste, you know. Come on, Martin liked uh they might not have gone on with her, but she was clearly not doing any harm to either of them. Um, but they're just so anti Sherry from day one. It is kind of sad. I, I absolutely love the fact that Niles makes that phone call again within like two seconds. I mean, he hangs up, doesn't he? He says, It's too soon, Niles, it's too soon to tell. Puts the phone down, rings, picks it up, still too soon, Niles. It almost reminds me of is it one of the times that he uh he Niles rings, doesn't he? He says, oh, I just don't want you to you know and then he said, oh, Of course you can come over, Niles. And then you hear the doorbell and he comes and in there. and he goes, oh, I heard you on the radio earlier and you said you didn't like people coming across in uninterrupted, so I called first. But he's outside the front door. Yeah, it's so <laughs> good. Niles being a little bit prepared, but 
being very hasty and very pushy at the same and time. And presumptuous, yeah, yeah. It's him all over, isn't it? So good, so good. Um, Fraser's kind of lying on the sofa now, kind of relaxing, a sherry-free apartment. He feels like a seafront village after the Vikings have left, um, <laughs> which is just such a devastating image. Um, Niles arrives now, and we have the opening line of, of yours from this episode, which is... Of course, yes, I'd offer you a sherry, but I'm fresh out. Unbelievable, which I'm always fresh out. It's always my status because I never have sherry in the house. I don't think I've ever drank sherry, um, which sounds nuts to say out loud. I, um, I haven't, but... and maybe I should have done because of this podcast and because of my love for Fraser. I do believe John Beale did actually buy sherry in the past, and he has drunk sherry purely because of the show and I'm, I'm pretty sure quite a few people have actually via I think so. Fan club. There's a lot of people who will quite often put up, I think it's Harvey's Bristol Cream is mm. uh, the bottle that a lot of people get because of Frasier because um, that's what everyone presumes it is because it's in that blue bottle um, but yeah I've never never tried it, never tried it never needed I'm gonna, it. I, I think I'm going to get a bottle for the next live episode um, and I can what, drink the whole, it. And just drink the, the whole, whole bottle, bottle on there. <laughs> like, no, I'm really nervous, water. everyone. You know, stay with me here. Um, Nas's scream at Daphne's accent now, just, a, oh, just so good, like a proper kind of bloodthirsty scream here because he's just terrified. The accent is dreadful, isn't it? I mean, it's like, so bad. You know, she just drops it down and goes, Oh, hi, is that so and so's steakhouse? I'm uh, it sounds like a mob informant. But this is the second time she tries it. She tried it in Travels with Martin in season one, didn't she? With her, mm. uh, sure. And all she could do was drop her voice again. Sure. 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 Um, but I do absolutely love the, uh, what do I do with my R's? We could try hauling it out of here. <laughs> so friend. good. The brilliant uh, reply to it every time. What is the uh, the other accent that Niles says to Daphne? Have you ever tried? Can you remember? Uh, French chambermaid, isn't it? <laughs> A saucy French chambermaid. That's the one. Um I've got the next quote here is not so dark as to think you're hiding anything. Is this when he's on about the lighting? Yeah, I presume so. Because what he, a sinister, yeah. sinister line. What could he possibly be hiding? You know, the whole setup for a date. Okay, I know they've met at his apartment. He invite. He doesn't take them out to dinner. He invites them back to his apartment. That's pre that's presumptuous. Three nights running. <laughs> yeah. Same bottle of wine. Same piece of music by Vivaldi. Same dimmer on the light switch and it's the a, it's same a pilot. bit much. It's a bit much. The wine's poured before they go in. Every single time there's two glasses of wine already on the side. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't doing. say to them, would you like red or white? They might not like one of them, but he doesn't. He They're going to drink what he gives them. Yep. And he's picked a bottle and <sighs> it's classy in one way, isn't it? That he does know how to put on a good night, but maybe that's a fourth or fifth date rather than a next next evening sort of date. Oh, I, mean, I think, the, yeah. The banquet that they had or the ball that they hold. I think maybe yeah. a week yeah. before. Yeah, maybe um, the week before. And then he has Saturday, Sunday, Monday after. Or no, it must be Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, isn't it? Yeah, I think an appropriate first date would have been let's they meet for food or drink somewhere in one yeah. of their nice boats. Um, You know, coming back well, to 1901. <laughs> coming back to 1901 is it's presumptuous. Um, But there we go. But Dear God, I could teach a course on cue. Adair arrives. Um, <laughs> Frasier staring at her backside, the old dog, while she's uh, taking in the view. He's pretty shameless here, leaning on the mantle, 
getting it getting his eye full here um is it when is it is she her that says uh i didn't really take a good look at it last night and he goes oh no oh i appreciate it more than he did last night he goes yes i my sentiments exactly or something my like sentiments that. exactly she looks like. a couple of times knowing what he's doing as well he's like she glances over her shoulder like yep that's him it's like <laughs> that's yeah that's cool. my ass you're staring at um sherry pops in now ruins another day she really does pee me off at this point i've always been a bit of a sherry defender um she does get on my nerves here when she calls adair the wrong name and 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 stuff and you know i feel i feel like adair she's a fox fraser's got you know this is she's a lovely woman here fraser could have had a great night but no sherry's just throwing a spanner in the works and i just think you know is that uh, even of, my patience wore thin? Is it part of Sherry's character? Would she be a bit blind and dumb to this? I don't think she is. She's quite intelligent. I don't think she's, she's intelligent and also quite sex positive. So it's I, why would she want to like deliberately ruin Fraser's kind of you know date night or whatever? Um, it is, I, I don't think she'd be this. It was knows, not yeah. you again. And I thought, mm. but if you've met someone once. Would it be nice seeing them again for 30 seconds to get your banjo or whatever it is? I mean, you... <laughs> probably not. You know, you didn't really catch up. You didn't sit down and have another half an hour chat. I mean, she only met the first one for five seconds the night before. It was nice seeing you again. Really? Have we met? You'd have just gone, oh, sorry. I thought you were someone else. And yeah. God, God. Oh, I thought it was the same music. Well, surely that's a hint that it's the, it's not the same date because you wouldn't play the same music the next night surely <laughs> yeah look i didn't listen to this last night no no god you didn't um so yeah just uh, frustrating um i mean speaking of we've already been frustrated by this c plus ros arrives at Novosa now with with her curves in tow shall we say she's got a lovely <laughs> evening dress on i mean perry gilpin you know super attractive woman here but this plot, she's better than this. She is better than what the writers are giving her here. She's um, gone crazy. I mean, she that's more than overdressed to go to Nervosa. More than overdressed, really, to go most places. Roz isn't that sort of person. She could dress nicely just by going out not wearing a ball gown. Do you know what I mean? She didn't have to wear an evening dress, did she? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, Sherry arrives at Nervosa now, kind of seeking solace from her breakup with Martin. Um, we learn that they both said, I love you for the first time, which I think is very touching and and in all of the way she annoys me i think sherry dempsey i can't remember the name of the woman that plays her um uh, martha mason martha marcia mason martha or marcia marcia i believe marcia mason um yeah i mean her i think her performance is excellent i think she's a really great actress anyway um and i think this is a really touching moment that we learned that they both said i love you and you know in the past he's been rather reserved about saying that i think it might be niles that says that um, bit of a breaking the ice callback, maybe, you know. Oh, I love ya, haven't we? That Martin's not too forthcoming. Um yeah. is it um he is looking at you with the telescope. There's a couple of callbacks to that almost because we've got Martin dating again in a serious mm -hmm. way. A bit afraid. He I know this is going ahead. He he mentions a few things about obviously Hester. Yeah. Um saying I love you again. And one thing we haven't actually touched upon saying that about he's looking at you. The other callback is the telescope's used again, almost. One of the dates he actually says, uh, I have a telescope and I'm uh, not to be trusted. Not disgusting, to be trusted. Rage disgusting. <laughs> you Honestly. Know, 
it's just uh anyway i've gone off subject yeah back to marsha mason no no just, um, I'm just i'm trying to think of a pun with frazier voyeurism the film rear window when he's been staring at their backsides i think this i think you could do one of your little rear window poster markups but it could yeah. be like a, a dare standing in front of the window and frazier of the telescope the fact that he actually uses that is just ridiculous. I mean, he, he says, uh, she says, do you get out much or something like that, doesn't he? And she, he says, no, uh, mostly I just, you know, I'm quite lonely and spend it here alone. Take my telescope home and you can see. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's so <laughs> smooth, doing? honestly. He doesn't miss a beat here. My boy is starving um, and he will not stop at anything to sate that appetite. Um, foggy mounting breakdown. To be honest, sounds very up my alley. Even if it did wake Fraser up, it's got. It sounds like it's got a a country and western twang. Uh, presumably, presumably, it's a classic American standard. But um, it is. Um, you know, I'd I'd be all over this. Was sounds it Foggy Mountain Breakdown? I think it's from the fifties. It sounds like it's mid century. Yeah, there's a oh, completely unrelated, but there's a great Tom Waits song that I love called a Fo- on a foggy night. Um, and it's. A similar vibe about a guy kind of looking for a motel as he's driving through the fog and just got a very chill, slow jazz vibe. It's a wants instrumental written by Earl Scruggs Earl in Scruggs. 1949, Foggy Mountain Breakdown. There we go. I'll try and learn it on guitar and play it on the live episode. Um, it was used as joke. background music in the 1967 motion picture Bonnie and Clyde. There ah. There you go. So probably, considering that film is pretty popular, probably not the most unknown piece of music in the world. People might actually recognise that if you play it to. Um, to be fair, yeah. probably quite recognisable for someone like uh, Sherry and Martin to actually really like that. Probably growing up and being young and watching films like Bonnie and Clyde in the sixties. Yeah, absolutely. Going out dating um, that may have happened. Frasier adjusts his fly now. Um, I've noticed more and more frequently that I leave my flies down all the time these days. Um, where where are you on the fly situation, Steve? Are you pretty good at remembering to zip them up? Yes, but I am also a sort of person that would take my trousers down that little bit just to tuck a shirt in because, let's face it, you have to when you're tucking a shirt in. I think maybe <laughs> that's something that some people don't realise, but, you know, it is easier to tuck a shirt in that way. I don't. It think- is. I don't think Frazier's wrong for doing this. Maybe in the elevator is not a great place to do it. But... Unless he knows no one's going to get on, it's a very risky business. Well, Mr. Hicks in security watches him do it all the time. And he's seen his condition, which he should definitely get checked out. He has, um, which also sounds like a bit of a throwback to, uh, to here, here's looking at you when they're exchanging medical histories. It is, and I wrote that down. Frazier ointment for his condition, callback to here's looking at you. But can you, as a bonus point for Trivia Corner, name the condition he has in that? Isn't it something roseate? It is. It's is it Pitarius it... Rosea. Pitarius Rosea, there we go. Because I was thinking of like the it must have the name Rosea because the way it like blooms like a rose, the rash. What um, worries me is Frazier has had Fraser has had this rash on his ass now for three years. <laughs> Has he not thought to get it checked out, maybe? Well, luckily, um, they actually do mention that Leslie Wellman's a uh, skin specialist, isn't she? So, uh, as Sherry, if you get lucky tonight, <laughs> she could take a look. look. Honestly, Sherry, man. Honestly, 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 honestly. Um, but yeah, Fraser's trying to bring um, Sherry and Martin back together now, and. Um, you know, we have the iconic moment with the remote and Sherry's at the door and he has to turn yep. it off. And, you know, we've skipped ahead a little bit with the whole, you know, if you get lucky tonight, she can she can look at that rash. Um, you know, which is just, can I use the powder room? No, 
need to yeah. ask <laughs> just honestly i absolutely love that um and then him getting confused and flirting with sherry is amazing right. he brings he the wine, wine. Stands behind and she goes, What have you? And he goes, Yes, it is. What am I doing? <laughs> oh, here's the wine, yeah, the possibilities. Um, just the kind of sheer madness and chaos at the end of this episode is kind of a real highlight for me. Um, and yeah, some just uh, the acting here, like you know, one day you hear yourself say, I love you to another woman. This is Martin speaking, and in the way Frasier or Kelsey says, God, dad, she makes you happy. The delivery yeah. of that line, like honestly, I almost felt like I was tearing up. So yeah. much emotion and so much brilliant delivery. I was like, this is stunning. So John, good. John and Kelsey look 100% authentic in delivering oh. the lines as them. And, and and almost, and they look like father and son. Yeah, and even that when they both smirk at each other in a nice, nice way. Um, I think Fraser delivers the line, me and Niles, or Niles and I, just want what you have. No, what you had. And he sort of smiles, and, and Martin looks at him and goes... Yeah, you want what I had with Hester, but you're happy for me now. That's great. Yeah, and that, that sort of again, you can see that bond between the actors as well as the characters. Almost Kelsey mm. sort of gives him that look, and and Martin really does reply with that sort of yeah, your mum was great sort of thing. And that's, I mean, that's perfectly good. And again, I've got three big capital words there. Frasier actually helps. <laughs> yes, he does. Honestly, I put I put that here. Like this is. This is him at his best. Yeah, he really actually helps, and not only helps somebody, but helps his dad. Yeah, honestly. I think that's he one of the kind of real him. neat bows tying this episode up, is that Frasier actually has measurable change on the people in his life here. Not that he doesn't elsewhere, but like he's he's interfering for the right reasons here. Yeah, yeah. Like he does with Nas and Daphne, ultimately. There is still... Okay, again, I don't want to be the negative person or point out continuity errors or faults in this. It is a perfect sitcom, but there is faults. Um, Martin smashes a plate. Yeah. And the scene cuts away and Frasier goes out and says, oops, butterfingers, and walks back in. Not that she'd have been able to hear that because we know the kitchen's soundproof. Yeah. Um, but when the camera goes back to Martin, there's literally no pieces of the plate left and it's hidden behind a black bowl. It's kind of been cleared up. And then the next scene's been shot. So John Mahoney literally smashes the plate down. There's probably, well, there's two plates that get broken. Sweep it up. And then that next scene, you can see like one or two pieces just peeking out beyond a black bowl, like it's all just disappeared. It's quite a shocking moment. He smashes the plate. Like it's quite wow. Jeez. It's, it's almost, it looks like John Mahoney doesn't, I mean, there, or obviously there must be real plates. John Mahoney literally just picks it up and smashes it on top of mm. another plate as well. He doesn't throw it on the floor. And it looks to me like a real plate. It's not a prop in that way. It's not like um, like a sugar glass. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. It the porcelain plate that he's, he's smashing on a proper you know kitchen counter. So it's probably quite a thing for him to do as well. And maybe they only had one take of it. So maybe that's why if it did get cleared up, they couldn't do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Seems that way. Um, now we've got the whole the kind of the new mon of the episode. Sherry starts to talk him up again to, to um, Leslie, and he's like, oh, good Lord, step lively. And he's like trying to get her out the door. Um, but then they end up giving her a lift. And um, yeah, I've put here, um, Frasier seems convinced his time with Leslie will end on a um, will end on a bad note. Like, it's going to fail. Like, he kind of despondently turns the music off. He goes back in the apartment to sigh. Like, everything up to the point where he's got them out in the hall. Leslie thinks he's the freaking man. 
So, like, why yeah. is he so sad and upset? Like, does he think, oh, she'll say something in the car and ruin this? Because, because That's like, you know, I just, well. yeah, I just feel like, come on, maybe Sherry's so distracted how much she loves Martin that she'll just shut up. And Leslie, third time lucky, is going to be the one that he has the successful date with, but he doesn't seem to see it that way. Well, she wants to make the joke as they leave, doesn't she? She says, oh, yeah. oh, I've got just the joke for you. And I think that's when he goes back in and goes, Eddie, like that. Yeah. Eddie Wolf, uh, could at least act surprised. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, the duck confit out on the table again. Go ahead. Of course Eat. it is. The duck confit. Um, so, yeah, you know, a, a kind of a bit of a bum note for Frasier to end on. But there we go. Um, top 10. Is this in your top 10, Steve? It's not. It's not. It's, not. it's a good. It's a good solid episode. I think it's very entertaining, and um, like I say, could it have been shorter? Maybe the Ros the Ros storyline. It's, it's like I say, it's just pointless. It's it's filler of minutes, and I don't think it needs to be there at all. It mm-hmm. Doesn't give anything to it. Ros doesn't actually. Uh, maybe it was just they wanted to have Perry in the episode because without those scenes, Perry's not included. Although she would have been. Yeah. She'd have been at KACO when he's phoning. When it, when it, you know the bed wetting and the yeah, so she has a few extra lines here and there, but yeah, the writers have just given a bit extra. On that note, before I ask you if it's in your top ten, the writer is Rob Greenberg. Mm. Have you noticed on uh, Fraser Fan Club a few weeks ago, and a lot of people did say they already knew it, but do you remember in? And I will say, spoiler alert: in Everyone's a Critic, Eddie kills a hamster belonging to little Robbie Greenberg, who lives in. 90 and lives oh in Elliot. Oh my Green. god, so, yeah. Another one a bit like uh, John Rajeski, etc. and Cider Cane. That Cider Cane, Greenberg, yeah. Robbie Greenberg wrote Lovely. It. Lovely little bit of trivia there, Steve. Thank you. Um, it's not in my top 10, um, unsurprisingly. Though looking at season four, which I do think is strong. I you know I'm, I think when we rank the episodes, we'll probably I probably will rank this as one episode. Like we'll take the mm. two parts together. Um well, you say yeah. that it does kind of count as it, it counts as one episode in some respects. Although it says there's 24 episodes in this season, to make the I think it's the 1,000th episode, as in what it's called, the 1,000th episode. To make that episode 100, you have to count this as one episode, not two. Oh, I didn't even know that the 1,000th show was the 100th ep. It's the only way to make that fit on the right episode, I believe. Mm. I could be wrong. MK, please write in and tell me that I'm wrong if I am. But I'm pretty sure that making this number 23, uh, number sorry, number 19, and only 23 full episodes as such in this season corrects that, and it makes it uh, the 1,000th episode fit onto number 100. Oh, that's interesting. No, I like that. Um, and uh, Yeah, I think the maths works out from my quick estimations there, so that's, uh, that's cool. Um, who have you gone for best actor for this one, Steve? Well, it's not the guy who plays uh, John Coughlin, put it that way. Luckily, <laughs> Really? You do surprise me. Because well, he lies. He says he's from Racine, which I think he actually grew up in Bloomer. And to go on to the other one, doesn't Ros mention something about Menominee? Remember that? Oh, you're from Menominee. Do you know Menominee. Billy Baker? So where's Ros from, anyway? Honestly. I think Perry Gilpin's from Texas, so nowhere near Wisconsin. Um, actor of the Week, who would be the pick? I actually think it would be... I'm willing to say John Mahoney. Really, mm. the way he shouts about chopsticks, the way he yells at Sherry, the way he fights with Fraser, and then the way he, like I say, the smashing of the plate and the act, and you know the way he brings out about you know if you've been married for 35 years and that ends the way it did with your mother and I, 
you know, you know how I feel to do this all over again. It's a real struggle for Martin in this episode in some respects. And you, I think you learn more about him now, a bit like we do in A Day in May, we're going to obviously come up to at some point, and things like that. I think the, these sort of episodes teach us a lot about Martin and his character without really being about him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, John Mahoney for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great justification. I think a really good pick as well. I'd, I'd certainly consider John Mahoney. I've gone maybe perhaps a bit more obviously um, with Frage, just because some incredible lines, some incredible choreography of the remote to possibilities, um, and for that genuinely kind of heartstring tugging moment at the end where he brings them back together and mm. you know the whole God Dad she makes you happy. That line alone is kind of enough to seal the deal for me. I think yeah, he's yeah. brilliant there. Um, so yeah, two two good picks there. I think, and it could go either way. Um, Kennedy Burling, I'm on the ground. What is his go-to date ritual? Does he do a similar vibe with? There's the toast. There's the music. There's the standing and admiring her backside while she's at the at the window. Does he have any I'd other imagine, tricks of his slave? I'm actually slightly classier. Doesn't have a telescope. I'd imagine he'd probably serenade them on the piano. I think. Oh, yeah. I think as they enter, he'd just sit down. I love that. You know, open the box for the Steinway and just oh. tinkle on the ivories for her and just Absolutely say, you know, beautiful. help yourself to duck confit. <laughs> get the Glen so get some in a minute. And I'll, uh, you know, pour yourself a drink. Yeah. You've got a choice. You're a free woman. You can make yeah. your own decision there. Um, Any requests? If you want to turn the lights down, do. But we can have the lights on if you. Uh, and if I've you got win. nothing to hide. Um, and uh, the dog isn't in the back room, locked in. <laughs> and I don't eat veal. Um, <laughs> they would be putty in his hands after a little serenade on the piano. So excellent stuff. All that remains is to play. Whose crane is it anyway? And this was a really hard episode to pick a word for, Steve. And I, I'm not going to change. Because the word I've got here, you're gonna get it because of because of a quote that you picked out. But the word that I had picked, and listeners, if you're playing along, um, you know, pause for five seconds to see if you can remember what the quote is. Um, the word was trusted. Who says the word trusted? Frazier. Frazier with the, the telescope, telescope, of course. I was I'd completely forgot when you brought that quote up that that's what whose crane was going to be. Um, but still, some listeners may have uh, zoned out for ten seconds or so earlier, and they might uh, still get to play along there. Shall course, we? A lot of the listeners probably skip past the bits that I say anyway. Which, nonsense! Uh, don't you dare, Steve! Don't you dare! I got one thing before we go over a listener mail. Um, the title: Three Dates and a Breakup. Where do you think that comes from? Because I've got two possibilities. Not not two possibilities. I've got <laughs> two two possibilities. <laughs> possibilities. Um I would think either it's like a mid-century old, you know, rockabilly song or something, or it's kind of classic Hollywood film. Those would be my two very broad guesses. Not so classic Hollywood film could be, because the first possibility is it could be a play on four weddings and a funeral. Oh, very good. Very, very good. Slightly previous to this. The other one, someone online has mentioned that it could be what the army, if they were doing army service, a soldier was doing army service or an enlistment or a tour, they would count down the days plus a wake up. So, for example, if you're away for three months, you'd say I'm away for 100 days and a wake up because the last day is the wake up you're going home. 
And that's how they count down their days, apparently. But that's an older oh. thing. So it could be 100 days in a wake-up or four wins in a funeral make the three dates in a break-up. But wow. that's... It- both are so compelling yeah i love that um really cool could could be either listeners let us know which one do you think it is um but yeah really good i've got four weddings on dvd actually i've never watched it but i think i'd probably enjoy it never um, watched it <laughs> no i think i'd enjoy it i think i'd enjoy it's it oh, I can... classic now it's nearly 30 years old isn't it? Uh, 394 devastating that you know the 90s was that long ago now honestly but there we go um <laughs> Shall we took ourselves into Listener Mail this week, Steve? Let's head over. Raz, who's our next caller? Okay, Listener Mail this week. Um, a few of you written in. Lovely to hear from you as always. Um, a new first-time caller um, opening this week is Indecision Sketch, who writes, Hi, Will and Key, and Steve, of course, this week. First-time commenter here. Just wanted to pop up and say that I've been absolutely loving the podcast. I've only recently come across it, and I'm thus terribly behind the episodes. However, I'm swiftly making my way through and have thoroughly enjoyed binge listening to them back-to-back. Frasier has been in my life since I was a child and is a hugely loved and often rewatched series in my household. None of my close friends watch it, so when I stumbled upon your podcast and subsequently Frasier Fan Club, who we have Steve uh, among, uh, among others to thank, thank for for that, I was elated. I resonate with other listeners who compliment the cosy vibe and the comfort of hearing two friends discussing a show they love. I personally find the reviews really insightful and enjoy hearing about things you notice from episodes I hadn't otherwise picked up on. I'm studying at uni, so I've been parted from my home-based Frasier box set for a while, so it's nice to reminisce and remember the episodes vicariously through this podcast. On a more niche note, it also makes a comforting and familiar soundtrack when I go out sketching in public, which no matter how many times I do, is always very daunting at the start. I hope to contribute to the listener mail in future episodes as soon as I get through the 58 other episodes at the time of writing that I need to catch up on. Keep up the brilliant work, guys, and give my regards to Kennedy Burling. Absolutely love that. I've just got a note from Kennedy. He says hi. He says hi. Excellent, right? He's not normally available at this time. He's normally playing the piano for a woman. Um, Indecision Sketch does say, apologies for double commenting, but your first two episodes seem to have vanished on Spotify. It was just the first one for a while, but I recently noticed the second one is gone as well. Maybe you guys already knew, but just thought I'd say in case you weren't aware. I didn't know that. And I'm slightly concerned that we've hit some kind of limit and they're going to start erasing themselves one by one. Let me have a look on Spotify as we are here. I will look on mine as well just to... Uh, okay, I've got, the, I've got the podcasts here. Let me scroll as far back as it will let me go. Oh, my God. I can't see the first three episodes now. Oh, my God. Do you know what? I started... I hate Fraser Crane episode four. Yeah. Right, well, I need to we'll look, look into that. <laughs> we will look into that. Thank you for letting us know because for some reason it's like deleting. Uh, it's maybe how many episodes is that for all the way through to 103? That puts us at 107 episodes. It's not even like it's a round number. That doesn't put us at 107 episodes. That's, What's 100, the ma- 100. That's 100 episodes, isn't it? Shit, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, you must be able to do more than 100 episodes, surely. Well, we will look into that. Um, Oldest to newest. Yeah, there we go. That's really, really concerning. Right, thank you for flagging that. We will look into that. Right, uh, next up we have Mischief Knight. An excellent episode, lads. Wink. Read Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker. In the original trilogy, and you thought there were only one person whose name you didn't know thanks to James Earl Jones. One, voice, James Earl Jones. Two, physical actor, David Prowse. Three, stunt actor, Bob Anderson. Four, mask off Vader, Anakin, Sebastian Shaw. Jesus. Going back to... Um, no, Ross's, Ross's, uh, Ross's Krantz and Goldenstein are dead. Of course. 
Uh, trivia and fun bits for three dates and a breakup. One, a rare example of a crane-hosted party going well. Oh, we're on mm. the same wavelength, Corey. Simpatico. Uh, number two, Fraser mentions it being a three-day weekend, but we don't hear of any reason like a holiday as to why. Mm. Uh, three, Fraser mentions a Midsummer Night's Dream. I nearly brought this up, actually, as the reason he caught the acting bug hearkening back to a Midwinter's Night Dream source material. Mm. Uh, Corey, I nearly brought that up because he says he went to prep school and did a Midsummer Night's Dream. Well, last week in Ham Radio, he also said in prep school he did Radio, uh, Richard the Third. So he did a lot of performances in prep school. A lot apparently. of Shakespeare at prep school. Yeah. Um, four in part two, when Roz is in her fancy dress, not fancy dress, her fancy dress, she just sits at a table. Someone else who's using a laptop on to talk to the Crane Boys. Rude. Yeah, indeed, rude indeed. Five. Martin breaks the plate, and we see all the shattered pieces. The camera cuts to the living room when Fraser says "butterfingers," and when we come back, there's only one tiny piece still on the table. So you uh, and Corey this week, it's like one mind. We are the same person. Yes, we truly are. Uh, Gunnar Fett put, hello from Wisconsin. I discovered the podcast in early March. After a month of binging, I finally caught up on the episodes. How fun. We've had a lot of Wisconsin chat this episode. Now I can comfortably participate in the Trivia Corner group. My history of Frasier goes way back to my early childhood love of The Simpsons. On our local TV station, The Simpsons aired at 6 and 10pm. Frasier aired two episodes at 9pm before The Simpsons, so I began watching Waiting for My Favourite Cartoon Family. In my adult years, I rediscovered my love of Frasier listening to the short-lived podcast by Kevin Smith, which died off during its first season. However, I much prefer your show as it feels like I'm sitting down to chat with old friends about a show we all love. Keep up the fantastic work and you'll be hearing from me regularly absolutely love that have you uh as good effects as they come from wisconsin you you notice that myself as sydney ass basket put wisconsin do you know roz to which good <laughs> but sure do her cousin billy rayburn and i go way back <laughs> oh i love that i love that keeping in character yeah. even better you read out sub comments but that was worth it <laughs> i realize steve you've now got to read your own comment out so you're if you're if you find that too jarring you're very very welcome to move on to argle gargle google goob do you know what? I'll uh, I'll read it from me live on air okay. to you and obviously address Key in the same time. Uh, okay. Gentlemen, in reference to your episode reviewing Roz's turn, what an episode. Honestly, one of the best episodes you guys have produced. So funny and highly entertaining episode of We're Listening that it had me laughing out loud on a few occasions. With regards to comments made about how you guys don't research things but ask listeners to write in, personally, I love this style of broadcasting. It creates interactions with your listeners, and without that, there would be no listener mail, etc. It's brilliant that you encourage contact from listeners, and personally, I love hearing listeners' opinions in response to your statements about episodes or life experience and tangents, etc., allowing us to give you our thoughts on daily life, sports, history, etc. gives the podcast a community. Well done, guys. Give yourself a pat on the back. And I mean Thank that. Thank you very much, Steve. That's very kind indeed. Lovely to hear from the desk of the ass basket himself. Um, Argle Goggle Google Goop puts, Hey, Wellinky, thanks for this week's ep. Appreciate your efforts to salvage as much of it as possible for our listening pleasure. Hope you don't let the occasional unfavorable review get to you too much, such that you track down the reviewer, pour yoo-hoo down their trousers, and burn down their newsstand. Wink! I'm sure I speak for the vast majority of us when I say this podcast has brought as much joy as Fraser fans, so please keep up the good work. Not sure if this was mentioned during the last 10 minutes, the title of this episode was yet another Sondheim reference based on the song Rose's Turn from Gypsy. Coincidentally, Patti Lapone, Aunt Zora from next season, has sung on this Broadway. A song this on Broadway, sorry. 
I also picked up on the odd cut in the scene when Roz cries. Perhaps it originally was one scene, but the Roz crying part took away too much from the comedy aspect of the scene, so they cut it. As much as I was glad that Roz got a chance to shine in this episode, once again, BB stole the show for me. So many memorable line deliveries here. Even though I haven't watched this episode in years, I could still hear them in my head as he recounted them. I'd love to hear the demo of Hank and Hannah Finch's show, though I can imagine it would be quite difficult to live up to BB's perfect pitching of their show. No wonder they thought it best to keep them as silent characters. Two more BB-related fun facts. The actress who played BB's mother later would play alongside Harriet Harris again in Desperate Housewives as a fellow guest character. Also, haven't watched it, but again, Harriet Harris knocks it out of the park in a bit role as yet another agent in Licorice Pizza. Truly an underrated aspect of what makes the show Frasier so great is that even a good deal of its guest cast are such talents in their own right. Sorry for the long post. Thanks again, guys. Lovely stuff. Brilliant. Uh, next up, Goodnight Seattle. So glad that you have managed to pull the episode back from the brink of oblivion, gents. I've got quite a soft spot for Roz's turn. It wouldn't feature in my all-time top ten, but may well do if I was ranking season four episodes. I'm always the sucker for a BB app. Three dates and a breakup. I've got a lot of time for this one. It's a bit of a weird choice for a double-length episode, given that the plot is relatively standard Frasier fare, but I'd put it head and shoulders above Adventures in Paradise. It might not be to others' tastes because of the amount of sherry involved, but as I've mentioned before, I think she's a great addition to the cast. With Fraser and Martin's relationship settling into a more comfortable one than it was initially, sherry adds some much-needed friction and acts as a great foil for the Crane brothers. In short, I think Sherry's a good character, and I'm prepared to die on this hill. Keep them coming and up the villa. Mm, I love that. I think I'm also willing to die on that hill, so you've got a friend in me. Good night. Uh, finally, Cam Winston, Amanda Ananda says, Right, lads, this week's Listener Mail is incorporating multiple episodes on the fly, ham radio, of course, and three dates. My input on tipping from a Kiwi point of view, here in New Zealand, it isn't expected that you tip, and really, it is only ever done in restaurants as opposed to cafes or coffee shops, which is very much the case, really, in the UK, I would say. Most of the time, the rule of thumb is 10% of the total bill. Steve mentioned Keep the Change as a method where this is also popular here down under. Other stuff, Ham Radio is just an epic episode with non-stop laughter. I agree where you mentioned one of the best lines in this episode. Best ever lines in this episode. Gil's romping with the school chums monologue gets me every time. One of his best episodes for sure. This is also my second ever favourite episode as mentioned, and Steve asked what my number one was. Sorry, Will, but Ski Lodge is not it. That comes in at number three. My number one is from season 10, but that's the only hint I am giving. Three Dates and a Breakup is a fantastic duo of episodes as well. I love the storyline and how Fraser tries to juggle the three dates. As for the B-plot with Martin and Sherry, I'm not a massive Sherry fan, to be honest, and I'm not sure why. Maybe it's the intrusive nature of the character or the banjo, but whatever it is, I have to tip my hat to the acting prowess of Marsha Mason. Kiora team, and as always, up the villa. Thank you so much, everyone, for writing in this week. So, so lovely to hear from you all. Um, only four episodes left of season four, ironically, um, left to go. Daphne H. Sherry will be up next week. Um, a huge thanks to you, Steve, as always, for, for stepping in and uh, reviewing this double bill with us. I hope you've had a good time. As always, yes, and thank you very much for inviting me back. It's always, uh, it's always nice to pop on, and uh, I don't mean to be negative today, so I apologise for the uh, continuity errors and the... Uh... Not at all, not at all. That's all part of it. We, me and Key bring, um, they bring them up. It's all part of the... Uh... 
the odd error that the uh, productions made. Like you say, they they probably never thought thirty years after they made it that someone like me would sit there and go, "Well, that shouldn't happen." But that's the beauty of these of these podcast rewatches. You know, we get to pick. You know, and what what's better than a perfect meal? A perfect episode. You know, one with a tiny floor we can pick at all night. Um, but other than that, I've been Will. Been Steve. And thank you very much for listening to We're Listening. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Oh, my. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. But I got you pegs. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs.